Are you looking for a simpler life? Real information from real people without all the BS we're bombarded with today? Well, hey, I'm Gary Collins, the host of Your Better Life podcast. Make sure to go check it out. I'm a former intelligence officer, special agent, entrepreneur, and I'm here to give you the facts and give it to you straight so you can live the life you want. And make sure to check out my website, thesimplelifenow.com, where I sell all of my best-selling books, The Simple Life Series, Going Off the Grid, Living Off the Grid, and just flat out kicking some ass. Make sure to check it out, guys. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. All right, that's right. Monday, you get three episodes of The Brian Nichols Show this week. And what a great week uh, you, you joined to start off here if you're a new listener, because today uh, we are joined by, yes, continuing with, with the, the theme of phenomenal guests. And by the way, before I, I get there, I'm Brian Nichols, your humble host here in the Brian Nichols Show. Today's guest is uh, Alex Epstein. Now, Alex is the author of uh, the New York Times bestselling book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and he's an expert on energy and industrial policy. Uh, and according to his Forbes uh, opinion bio, he is called, quote, the most original thinker of the year by political commentator John McLaughlin. He champions the use of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas and has changed the way thousands of people think about energy. And it's the way he thinks about energy is uh, exactly why I want him on the show, because Alex Epstein, he focuses um, on energy in a, a very different way, I think, than what the uh, the traditional narrative that we see uh, presented on the mainstream uh, media, you know, this this idea of renewable energy or, you know, you're not for, <laughs> um, you know, saving the planet. Right. Um, so today we actually are, are looking at a new docu series on Netflix, which is uh, Zac Efron's Down to Earth. Uh, and, and with it, some of the solutions that Zach promotes, uh, you know, he maybe misses the mark a little bit uh, in terms of using government to be the, the means to actually enact uh, that a policy. So Alex uh, Epstein joins the show today to discuss Maybe some uh, some more alternatives, but maybe also where uh, we're not looking at the right questions, and maybe we need to start reframing some of these uh, these questions in our minds and look at them a different little bit a uh, different perspective. So that being said, without further ado, onto the show. Alex Epstein here on the Brian Nichols Show. Hey Brian, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Alex. I reached out because obviously you're a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, and you focus on alternatives to government solutions. And I say government solutions very loosely because are they really solutions? Um, we're going to discuss that today, and partly because um, right now there is a documentary, well, a series, I guess we'll call it, on Netflix, and it is called Down to Earth with Zac Efron, and it's winning the hearts and minds of, of millennials and Zoomers all across the world because it's got their heartthrob Zac Efron from, um, what was it, High School Musical, so he's he's leading the charge right now to offer different solutions um, to what we're finding is uh, the, the, the big, uh, the big I don't know, it's like the big emotional tie that my generation and the younger generation than me have, and it's to climate change, and it's to this this idea that the world's going to end in, in 10 years, right? And that, you know, we need to have drastic, you know, complete overchanging and overthrowing of our traditional models of doing things just to rectify this. So let's kind of set the stage here, Alex. You're making the opposite argument, and you're actually saying, hold up, 
number one, this is a little bit hyperbolic, but number two, the solutions you're offering aren't actually solutions. And in, actu in, in, in actuality, a lot of the solutions are going to be causing some more problems and more harm than they actually are, are going to be accomplishing in their solutions. So that being said, Alex, kind of set the stage here. Let's kind of walk into your, your history, your experience, and, and what led you to go down this path of, of making, yes, the moral case for fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, wow, lots of good stuff to talk about. So I'll, I'll tr try to do it quickly. So so some, sometimes people think, oh, the moral case for fossil fuels, maybe that's a project supported by the fossil fuel industry, or maybe you grew up in Kentucky or Houston or something like that. And I had no background in the industry. I didn't know anyone in the industry when I was coming uh, at these things. My background is actually philosophy. And what I like to do is try to analyze the thinking methods that people are using with a given topic. And when I started investigating this issue of fossil fuels, one thing I noticed is that unlike most areas of life where we try to carefully weigh the benefits and the side effects of our different alternatives. So if we're taking antibiotic, we think, okay, what are the benefits? What are the side effects? How big are they? I noticed that with fossil fuels and also with nuclear, we tended to only look at the side effects. And then with things like solar and wind, we tended to only look at the benefits. Mm -hmm. And it really interested me that there was that kind of bias. And to make a long story short, I became very interested in what's the actual full context with regard to this. If you really look at the pros and cons or the benefits and side effects of different kinds of alternatives, uh, what's the actual story of energy today and then uh, energy going forward? Exactly. So let's kind of um, move forward here in actually sharing. So I'm going to quickly play here the um, the intro to what was, um, let's see here, it's the intro to the Down to Earth documentary. So we're going to go to, here we go. We're, we're playing with fire here as we're doing technology live on interviews. So we're going to start here playing this uh, intro, Alex, and we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, do a quick recap of the first couple episodes here and then move into some of the issues. So with that intro. Como se dice, let's go. Adiamo. 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 Okay, we are traveling around the world to find some new perspectives on some very old problems. I can't believe this place exists. Food, water, and energy are all the main staples for modern life. Guys, we're going to Paris. We're going to meet some top eco-innovators. This is the community fart bag. This is the community fart bag. Burns like the Olympic torch. Yeah. We have to open our minds. Otherwise, we don't survive. To see how change is an inside job. Governments sometimes fail, but people find a way to help each other. It's kind of impossible to stop. And we're going to be eating really, really well. It's been dung smoked. Yeah. It doesn't taste like dung. I'm so happy that I'm eating carbs again. Wow, look at that. It's also a pesticide. <laughs> we need to start rethinking how we consume everything from our food to our power. Whoa, look at that. That's mother. Dude, that's some power. Change has to start somewhere. Maybe it's time we all change. Do I have a safe word? <laughs> what are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> what the? This is my kind of sword. Get move, move. <laughs> time to get down to earth down to earth we gotta get down to earth alex so one of the quotes there in that intro right that just kind of it, it struck me right and of all the people to say it was the mayor of san um or of san juan puerto rico uh, who with government ended up having one of the worst uh abilities to recover from a hurricane because of government inefficiency and in her quote government sometimes fail but people um you know they they make it you happen, they could come together. And and that speaks to kind of the overall theme here, right, with the show. And let's kind of start off with episode one of the first season. They go to Iceland and they talk about renewable energy and and there's 
promoting in, in this, um, this episode, Alex, the idea that we can use um, a top-down approach, government will be able to use, in this case in Iceland, the geothermal um, energy from, from Iceland to, to power Iceland, and then, you know, it's going to make everything better. You know, it's going to eliminate all the, the, the fossil fuel production, it's going to eliminate the, the carbon emissions going into the air, it's going to make the environment better. Where are they wrong? Where, where, where are we list, you know, losing them on this pathway? Is that not a good thing? Well, can I make a point about the the broader point about the show and the premise of the show? Please, yes. I think yes. that'll help frame this. Um, so if we're talking about the earth and the state of the earth and what to do about the earth going forward, I think we first need to acknowledge the reality that we live in, which is that the earth has never been a better place for human beings to live. There's a kind of mythology that I call the delicate nurturer dogma which is that the earth exists in a delicate balance and it's sufficient, it's safe, and it's stable. So it's sufficient, it gives us what we need, it's safe, you know, it keeps us safe, and it's stable. Things don't change too much. And the, the thing we're supposed to be afraid of is impacting nature, because if we just impact it too much, then the whole delicate balance is going to fold and then we're all going to die. And this is, this is really, I call it a dogma because it is just completely contrary to reality. If you look at the way the earth actually was 200 years ago before industrialization and the way, the way it actually is in primitive poor countries, it's not any kind of delicate nurturer. You could call it, it's, it's wild potential. So it's actually, it's deficient. It doesn't give us what we need. People are starving all the time. It's extremely dangerous. Nature is just attacking us in all sorts of ways. And it's very dynamic. It's everything is changing all the time. And, and what we really need to do is we actually need to massively impact the planet to make it livable for us. We really need to master nature or master our environment. And if you look at what we've done in the past 200 years, not from the perspective of, is it perfect, but is it overall good? The planet, at, at least for the billions of people in the industrialized world, is an infinitely better place to live. That's why we have a life expectancy approaching 80 versus under 30. That's why we have uh, very high income. That's why the planet can support so many people. And that that um, productivity and that mastery of nature has also benefited everyone around the world. That's why life expectancies around the world uh, you know, started off in the 20th century at something like 45. And now you don't have anywhere basically that has a life expectancy of 45. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have to recognize if we're thinking about the future that today's planet is overall the best planet that's ever existed. So we've done a lot to make this planet a lot more habitable. And if you look at the a lot of the premise of this show, the premise of this show is we've made the planet worse and we know it's going to get really, really bad soon, usually because of climate change, but because of other things. And if you're starting off on that premise, it's not a reality-based premise. So the world has been getting better and better. That doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to get better and better. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned necessarily about something like rising CO2 levels. But as a starting point, you need to recognize that the earth is getting better and better. And if you're not on that premise, you really have to question what what, and this goes to my background in philosophy, by what moral standard are you judging the earth? Because if you think the earth is getting worse and worse, and yet it's better and better for human life, that means you're not judging the earth by a human-based standard. And I think what's happening is we're taught to judge the earth by the standard of unchanged nature. We're taught to mm. think the best possible earth is the one that we've changed the least. But remember, the earth is not a delicate nurture. It's wild potential. So if we don't change it, we suffer 
and we die. So my one of my core missions in my work is to change the standard by which we're evaluating our actions and by which we're evaluating the earth as a whole to a human flourishing standard. So that means humans living to their highest potential versus an unchanged nature standard. And that doesn't mean everything is a parking lot in this kind of character because that's not what's good for human life. It means that we master our environment. We we preserve the parts that are most beautiful and most enjoyable, but we need to dra- dramatically transform a lot of it. And even to enjoy the beautiful parts, we need to master nature. So we actually get there. We can actually go to those places mm-hmm. and we actually can eat and we're actually protected from the dangers. And we actually have the freed up time to do this, none of which we have in nature. So what you have with this show, and by the way, I like Zach Efron a lot in general. And I generally like him in the show. He seems infinitely better than an Al Gore or something like that. And he he seems uh, honest, but he's the whole kind of thing is they're taking for granted all the ways in which we've made the world amazing, including the fact that they can take time off to visit all these scenic locations. So they're basically treating all of our impacts on the world as bad. And then they're looking for, oh, who's doing something different that we say the whole world should be doing uh, instead. And, and I think mm-hmm. that leads to a whole bunch of problems, which we can discuss in the case of Iceland. But I just wanted to give that as context that there's something wrong that they're treating the world as bad and getting worse. And ultimately it's they're evaluating the earth by this standard of unchanged nature, not by human flourish. For sure. And then that kind of goes into actually, so beforehand you were kind enough to send over some notes to me because, I mean, I'd love to hear the perspective because I mean, obviously, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Right now, we are looking almost at pro, um, you know, the idealist I, uh, men, mentality of the world as being the enemy of progress. And you you speak to in your notes um, how Iceland really they've been growing because they've been utilizing oil and the oil uh, resources that they had to help increase the ability for people to move up, you know, the the, the uh, rankings economically, and then to be able to invest back into these alternative forms, and that being using their geothermal and, uh, and hydro uh, technology they have for, for Iceland. So let's kind of dig into that and, and maybe show where <laughs> where maybe the, the solution that's being presented by Down to Earth is a little off base. So with Iceland, um, you know, Darren, who's uh, one of the, the co-hosts for the show, and Zach go to Iceland, and they go to you know a geothermal wellness center, um, but more so they look at um, a geothermal renewable energy plant, and what they focus on is uh, that this one specific city, I think it, it I, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm not going to try, Alex, um, but 100% of the entire uh, country of Iceland's electricity comes from renewable energy um, and mostly from heat and volcanic activity. And then Zach Efron in his, his ignorant bliss asks, well, why can't we do that here? Alex, why can't we do that here? He barely asks. Yeah. And it's more like we should be doing this. Yeah. And so I think you did a good job of, I mean, so technically I, I don't think they contradicted it. It's actually technically most of it is hydro, but there is some geothermal and both of those by some definitions qualify as as renewable. So yeah, what you have is they're going to Iceland. Iceland is a country with relatively low electricity prices. They don't mention that, but that's an important fact. It's lower than most of Europe, not as low as the, the US, but still relatively low. It's a place that needs a lot of energy because it's super cold. It, per capita, it's just about the highest energy use in the world, even higher than the United States. And it's true that most of their electricity, which is different than all their transportation energy, but if you just look at their electricity, it's coming mostly from hydro, but also substantially from geothermal. And then the takeaway, at one point, there's a there's a graphic on the screen where it says percentage of U.S. electricity from fossil fuels, and it's something like 63% or 66%. And then it says 0% uh, Iceland. 
And then Zach says, well, we've got a long way to go. And, and this is a typical thing in these docu-series. It's just showing, oh, well, here's something. These people are doing something. This seems better. Why don't we do it uh, everywhere? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a legitimate kind of naive question to ask in your first hour of investigating the issue. Uh, but before you get all the cameras set up, you should really ask, why is it? And why do I need to go to Iceland, of all places, right. to find this situation? And what you find is that there is a reason that you have to go to Iceland, and it's that Iceland has a set of what you could call natural resources that is extremely unusual in this regard. I mean, for geothermal, it's completely unequal. There's nowhere in the world that gets even close to that amount of uh, electricity from geothermal. And what you see in these amazing places they're visiting is they're visiting these places that are very, very hot near the surface. And so what that points to is there are just certain kinds of geological formations, and they relate this to plate tectonics, but it doesn't really matter for our purposes why it is. It's just that Iceland is uniquely conducive to geothermal geothermal heat, uh, which can be turned into uh, electricity. And it also, you see these amazing waterfalls. And at one point, Zach says they're balancing the need between, you know, the need for electricity and the need to preserve the waterfalls. And they have 10,000 waterfalls and 10 uh, hydro plants. So that another point, he says 15, but whatever the number is, <laughs> he says, I, that sounds like a good balance, but not everywhere in the world has an unlimited supply of waterfalls. So right. the premise of being on a human flourishing standard and, and valuing environmental mastery is not at all that you have to use fossil fuels dogmatically in every situation. What you're generally trying to do, though, is you're trying to find a reliable, low-cost energy solution uh, for different kinds of situations. And so Iceland, is it's impressive what they've done, and it's cool. But it's irrelevant to a lot of the world, particularly the geothermal part, because nobody has close to th- those kinds of uh, resources. With hydro, it's uh, it's a little bit different because there are more places in the world that can use hydro. And it's a good point that more people should be taking advantage of hydro. For example, like in the Congo, there's potential for hydroelectric dams and they're not using it. But what's interesting is guess who, and Brian, I'll give you one guess, Guess who is opposing hydro around the world? And I'll give you a hint. It is not the fossil fuel industry. I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to be the um, who, the renewable energy. Yeah, I mean, more broadly, the green movement. Green movement. More accurately, the anti-impact movement. And their whole thing is, yeah, we shouldn't be impacting nature. We should be preserving the delicate nurturer. And guess what? A hydroelectric dam is a massive impact on nature. So one of the ironies of this series is they're looking at they're, they're looking at things from this perspective of let's impact nature as little as possible, but then they're they're taking situations where people have decided to impact nature on a massive scale, a scale they probably wouldn't endorse if it came up. I mean, maybe Zach would. I think he's he's much more pro-human. I mean, he's not at all a hardcore green or anything like that. Right. But it's important that the green movement is suppressing hydroelectric energy around the world. Now, is that sufficient? Is that potential for hydroelectric sufficient to replace fossil fuels or nuclear, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, no, but it is, it is very significant and it's really criminal that it's being suppressed, but it's being suppressed by this green movement, by this anti-impact movement that's saying it's wrong to try to master nature. We should instead just basically do very little. And at one point I'm, he has all these kind of cliche formulations that are revealing like utilizing what nature gives you or working with nature versus uh, against it. And really like nature doesn't 
care about us. It's not trying to give us things or trying to take things away, except other species are often trying to take things away uh, from us. But it's nature is just wild potential and we need to master it. And really we need to manipulate it. So the intelligently, so geothermal in the right situation, that's an intelligent manipulation of nature. But in many, you know, most situations around the world, people cannot get reliable, low-cost energy with geothermal, so they have to use something like fossil fuels uh, or nuclear. And and hopefully we'll talk in a minute about nuclear, because it's very conspicuous that there was no mention of nuclear in this episode, and also that he has an episode on France, which I've watched most of, and there's no... Uh, discussion of nuclear there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and really quick before we go to that, I mean, I mean, nuclear is definitely going to be one of the areas we're going to discuss because I mean, I've had Steve Malloy, former um, you know head of the transition there for Trump's EPA, and and you know he discussed explicitly in my show. He's like, listen, if you want some real solutions, let's look at nuclear, and we'll discuss some of the ironies there with Zach not discussing nuclear specifically. But to the 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 value right of what I would say Zach is doing in this episode. Now I'm going to give credit where I can give credit absolutely, and I would say. It is to raise up case studies of where countries or localities are having some success and what they're specifically doing in those areas to yield that success. So, you know, I would I would encourage countries or, you know, states or localities who maybe have those resources available to then look at these as almost like, okay, this is a blueprint of how we could maybe take this and make it fit for us. But then it goes to the overall problem with trying to implement those from a government standpoint, you know, this one size fits all for, in let's take a country like the United States, you're hailing from California, I'm on the East Coast, it's going to be night and day in terms of what it's going to work for you guys versus what's going to work for us over here. And I would say when you know you have someone like Zach who I would say his idealism is is you know it's warranted. It's great to see somebody have that idealistic mindset, but then to use that idealism and then in in then try and enforce it via the vote, uh, which will then you know basically put that into action and then be enforced by guns, right? That's where I think we we would have a big disagreement in how we'd actually accomplish some stuff. So I guess I, going forward to nuclear, let's accomplish some of this stuff right now. The, well, can, our, the can irony. Can we talk about the government? Can we yeah. talk about the government? Oh, please do. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I can see why you're reacting to that. And and I saw it come up much more in the second episode. It doesn't come up oh, much yeah. in the first, it comes up in the water one because the idea is, I mean, it's really transparent. Uh, they're like, oh, if only we gave the government the power to control this. And really quick, just great, for the context for folks, Alex. So you're referring to the the second episode, which we're going to dig into yeah, as yeah, well, um, which is where so, they go to France. Yeah, yeah, sorry. They go to France. Sorry about that. And they, uh, and it's all about water. And it's that France has uh, allegedly, I haven't studied it, or at least Paris in particular, has this really good tap water. And they're, instead of using chlorine, they're using certain kinds of, uh, you know, basically shine it, certain kinds of light based uh, purification, mm-hmm. et cetera. And for all I know, it's they're, they're doing some good stuff. But the, the narrative around it is the whole key to doing this is to uh is to have a government monopoly on it so as soon as the government takes over it does really wise things and we all get great water but when there were private competitors uh we all got terrible water right you just think about i mean it's so that that really surprised me i could see now why you were focused on the liberty aspect because it was just so transparent and oblivious about how i mean what it means to give the government monopoly like if you give the government a monopoly on something that doesn't require that much innovation where it's it's known how to do it decently like water, there is a chance that you'll get a given person who does a decent job with it. Uh, but you're to- you're totally at, at, at their mercy, 
right? It, versus when you're free and when you're actually free to choose among different producers. And what if they, they do a bad job? Have, I mean, that's the big, that's the big yeah, elephant in the room. Yeah, like if that, they do a bad job, you're screwed. The normal, the norm, I mean, there's doing a bad job, but then, you know, in any, in any real area, what you want is continuous innovation. There's no Correct. way that one government person with a gun is going to innovate in all these areas. So whatever, you know, whatever is going on with the Paris water market, if, if you actually had a situation where people were free to compete with different kinds of water, that's what you want as a consumer. That's what allows you to choose. And in fact, at the beginning of that episode, they also had another actor I really like, Anna Kendrick, uh, on there and they were doing a water sommelier type thing and they're mm-hmm. tasting the different kinds of water. And I don't think they had the irony that, wait, there's a whole like global free market, global capitalism that's enabling <laughs> us to taste this water from Slovenia of all places. Yes, exactly. And they're also not asking uh, how it how it got there, which which connects, sorry, we'll talk about nuclear in a second, but the uh, the oil thing is important that energy is not the same as electricity. So energy is, you can think of it as machine food. It's the things that our machines eat to uh, operate. And electricity is one vital form of energy, but it's not the only form. We use energy in the form of home heating. That's often not electricity because it's often much cheaper to just burn things directly or use heat directly, even through geothermal for heat. Mm -hmm. And in particular for industrial heat. So if we are like producing um, steel or something like that, there's a lot of forms of heat that do not work, that are not very cost effective with electricity, that we're burning things or sometimes geothermal heat, but really it's not hot enough. So you're often burning something like natural gas to do that kind of thing. And then for mobility, you need a kind a form of energy that's very concentrated. That's what's called energy dense. And that's where oil is really the superstar. And one thing that the whole episode doesn't mention at all is that oil, Iceland uses a ton of oil and it uses an increasing amount of oil. They showed... Mm-hmm as a token, some battery powered cars to just imply, oh, everybody is getting around on these battery cars. But most mobility uh, is not at all that. And it's because it's not usually cost effective, including because of range issues and because of expense issues. And then the bigger you get, the bigger the vehicle is. So things like planes and cargo ships and whatnot, the more the energy density problem plagues you. Batteries aren't nearly as energy dense uh, as oil fuels are. So that's just, it's, that's a really big thing that Iceland is using more and more oil. And it's, it's something they omitted. I don't even know if they, they knew that, but that's the kind of thing that you should know before taking a case study like this as an example of, oh, the world should do this. And particularly to go to the Liberty point, particularly if you're on the premise of the government should force these things I mean, what it means is, hey, we've got this crackpot idea that everyone can do what Iceland's going to do, and the government should force that on everyone. Well, if if they actually tried that in the U.S., then we would all suffer massively if we actually tried to power the U.S. via geothermal and hydro uh, exclusively for electricity. We couldn't do that. So it's just it just shows that the two things that you want are you want freedom so that producers and consumers uh, can interact voluntarily, and as consumers we can choose the things that people can prove are actually best for us versus something that the government uh, dictates. And then as part of that, what happens under freedom, we want real, uh, genuinely careful thinking about these kinds of things, not just what amounts to propaganda. 
Right. You know, for sure. And, and you, you, you touched on it, right, with the increasing of competition. And that increases not only what's available in the market, but it does increase the quality of the market. And I look no further than, I mean, let's take exactly, now they focus specifically on water, you know, bottled water as like the, the foil to what, what Paris was doing in the French episode. But then you look at like, look at America, right? I know for a fact that I can go online right now and order, you name the water filtration purification um, system. Berkey's are like the, the new hot thing right now. They're like $300. But I mean, they yeah, have, just yeah, and they have like, you know, a million different types of charcoal, you know, filters and such. And it's supposed to be like the best water out there. And I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I, I have a feeling that if a person was able to spend $300 towards a Berkey and then whatever the maintenance is for it, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but then take that versus what they were going to be spending on their tax dollars, which it's funny because in the, the, um, the document docu-series, they say that the water's free. It's like, of course it's free. And it's like, there's nothing that you get spent towards, you know, producing this and maintaining it. They just assume that it just comes from the magic water fairy, I guess. Um, but to that point, I'm, I can almost guarantee that person is going to look at the Berkey as a better investment because it's, it's theirs. They own it. And then there's going to be that incentive to always constantly make the Berkey better. Whereas to your point, Alex, when the government makes the decision of what the the you know uniform you know one size fit all solution is going to be, then it destroys that incentive to always constantly get better. And let's kind of do that final uh, twist there towards nuclear energy. One of the things you know as we talk about energy, nuclear has been presented time and time again as one of the real alternatives and one of the real solutions um, to what we'd say is the quote unquote energy crisis. I mean, goodness, you guys out in California right now are experiencing it firsthand. And you spoke to one of the ultimate ironies in the series is that, you know, not only was not nuclear not discussed once, but Zac Efron's dad, he works in nuclear. Let's kind of touch on that, Alex. Why is there seemingly this, this disconnect from what actually are real solutions versus this idealist mentality of what is going to work? Yeah, he mentions the only reason I know that about his dad is because he says that in the first episode. So he asks a good kind of question uh, about geothermal and it's basically, are there you know, my dad works in nuclear and it's cool, but there are certain downsides. Are there downsides to this? Downsides to this. I forget their exact word, but it's something like that. And then then they say, of course there are downsides, but there aren't as many as with um, other things. And it's, but then you just think, I thought, oh, well, the first episode, okay, Iceland. Well, it's kind of interesting what they do in Iceland. It's not that applicable to other uh, places, but it's uh, it's interesting. And particularly with hydro, you could draw more lessons about hydro, I think, and the potential for that. But then they have the next one on France, and I think, oh, great, he's going to actually show how the the electricity system is powered by nuclear energy, which is something that can be used anywhere in the world. I mentioned how important it is that energy forms are energy dense, and yep. nuclear materials that by far the densest form of energy in the world. It's, it's more complicated to harness than oil. So it's not the easiest thing to just make a car using, at least at this point in history, but it's the kind of thing that you can move that fuel anywhere around the world. I mean, it's much cheaper to do that than it is for coal. And one reason coal is so widely utilized is because it's super easy to, uh, to transport and it's relatively energy dense. But no, instead, they're in France, they're just talking about uh, tap water. And it just raises the question, well, why are you not looking at something that has much more demonstrated potential and in particular potential to scale, which is the key question if you're thinking about su- substituting for fossil fuels to any significant degree. Fossil fuels are 80% of the world's energy and they're still the fastest growing source of energy in the world in terms of n- like number of machine, what I call machine calories added uh, every year. So you need something that can be produced kind of everywhere for everyone, not just a place that works in ice, not just a thing that works in Iceland. And nuclear has that 
kind of potential, I think, more than anything else. Not that it's easy to actualize. But I think the reason is because nuclear is not considered renewable. And this goes to this comment that it's he's idealistic. I agree he's idealistic, but I don't I don't consider it an ideal. Like I don't consider because it's really the ideal of unchanged nature or an unimpacted planet. And I don't think of that as an ideal. I think of the ideal as a as a humanized planet, as a planet that we've increasingly mastered where we can enjoy all kinds of natural beauty and whatnot, of course, but where it's really a good place for human beings to live. And if you're going to do that, you cannot be dogmatic and re restrict yourself to things that are, quote, renewable, which in practice means from the sun and the wind. That's most what most acceptable renewable is considered. And the idea is, hey, let's just absorb these natural flows of energy and let's live on that and let's not touch anything else. But you cannot be very successful just doing that. Those flows are very dilute they're very and they're very intermittent they're not reliable which is the whole problem that they've had forever and that they they still have they don't provide reliable energy so they need continuous backup from actual reliable energy and there's no reason why we should be dogmatically committed to being renewable even if we want to eliminate co2 which i don't think is the right move at this point in history but you could you should at least focus on non co2 nuclear and you should focus more on non-CO2 hydro, which is considered renewable by some, but in most places, it's not considered renewable because renewable is really code for natural and mm. it, it, damming rivers is considered unnatural. So this whole ideal of renewable, low impact, unchanged nature and unimpacted planet, I just reject this uh, as an ideal. And But when you do have this as an ideal, then you make these incredibly dogmatic decisions. And when then when you impose it by government, then that dogma becomes very deadly. I'm all about selling. That's kind of my my shtick for the uh, the show. Hashtag sell liberty. That's been like the, the approach that we've been taking here in the Brian Nichols sh show. And, and one of the things I completely confess is that I'm not an expert in everything. So Alex, obviously the reason I want to have you on the show is because I would dare say not only are you an expert in in this specific um, field being that of, you know, looking at these different, you know, you know solutions to green energy, if you will, but, you know, talking about these very controversial topics, you know, energy independence, fossil fuels, all that fun stuff. You've been doing that as an expert over at your podcast, The Power Hour with Alex Epstein. So Alex, uh, with that being said, kind of give us a preview. What can folks expect as they head over and uh, give you a subscribe and give you a listen? Oh, wow. well, thank you for that uh, plug. So Power Hour is once a week podcast and it is some combination of whatever the biggest energy and environmental issues are in the news. Uh, but often it's, it's finding some new expert to discuss those issues with or some other important issue with. So for example, recently we had a guy named Michael Schellenberger who wrote a really good book called Apocalypse Never that I'd recommend that people read. It covers a lot of these kinds of issues. And he and I broke down what's going on in our, both of our home state of California with the wildfires and with the blackouts. And I think if you listen to that episode, for example, you'll see, wow, this is the truth about this is almost exactly the opposite of what we're told because with the, the blackouts, it's really this insistent insistence on renewable, unreliable energy. And with the wildfires, it's really not that, oh, the temperature's one degree warmer. It's that we have really irrational forest management, and it's actually based on this idea of unchanged nature. People are not trying to master the forests. They're trying to leave them in some kind of natural state, and that's a complete mess. Yeah, it's it's um, it's um the ultimate case of we have to start judging things by their outcomes versus by their intentions. And Alex, uh, you know, definitely we need more folks like you out there who are not only leading the good fight, but uh, you're actually 
trying to help like re-educate some folks because honestly I think it does come down to a lot of folks just this is what they've been told this is what they've been taught their entire lives and just to question it it kind of is like you know questioning their very you know existence their very own fundamental beliefs so thank you for all you're doing uh, and that being said obviously we mentioned the power hour with Alex Epstein we'll include the links to your show in the show notes but uh, where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media if they want to stay up to date with all that's happening in your your uh, world so my, my name is Alex Epstein E-P-S-T-E-I-N and I'm that's pretty much my name on the different uh, platforms. One thing I, I forgot to mention, but uh, as you're giving me a chance to talk about this, there's a new website specifically for the election that I put up called energytalkingpoints.com. That's energytalkingpoints.com. And if you check that out, it's just free talking points that anyone can use. So if you're a candidate or a citizen or anybody, and you want really quick, well-backed up comments on these kinds of issues, just go to there. And then the other thing is uh, the website of my company is industrialprogress.com. And if you like what you've heard here today, I'd encourage you to just sign up for my weekly mailing list. So if you go to industrialprogress.com, you can sign up for that and that will keep you on top of everything including we will notify uh, readers about me being on the Brian Nichols show, which I'm really grateful that you invited me to. Absolutely. Well, hey, listen, that's part of what we're doing here at the show. Um, you know, I, I think it's very indicative on me to admit when I don't know everything, and that's because I don't. And in what I want to do, my show, the entire goal is to have people on, to leave them you know, feeling that the audience is educated, enlightened, and informed. And I, Alex, I honestly sincerely believe that you know, having more folks like you on the show, that's exactly how we're going to accomplish that. So with that being said, I'll make sure I include the links to all of the, uh, this, not only the uh, the different links you've provided here, but the links to your social media as well in the show notes. And folks, please do me a favor. Go ahead and subscribe to the Power Hour with Alex Epstein. And uh, with that being said, Alex, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. It's an absolute blast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation with Alex Epstein. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels is the book. And the docu-series, if you want to check it out, is Down to Earth over on Netflix. I don't know if you want to uh, still be on Netflix with the whole cuties thing going on. Um, I guess uh, Zac Efron got in at the right time before uh, all this hit the uh, the fan, eh? Uh, so anyways, guys, uh, do me a favor. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do me a favor and share with family and friends. Um, and if you could, uh, really, if you do enjoy it, do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rate and review. Five stars uh, would definitely be appreciated. Uh, and then also, if you could also do me a quick favor uh, and share the episode, but also tag me, right? Tag me and also give Alex a tag and tell us, uh, you know, you enjoyed the episode or, you know, give us your your thoughts. If you disagree, tell us why, um, which is always great. You know, have that conversation. So t- make sure you tag me at B Nichols Liberty, uh, both on Facebook, Twitter, and on minds.com. Uh, and as I mentioned before, uh, you can email me because right now where we are, we're looking for sponsors. We are growing. Uh, so shoot me an email, brian at briannicholsshow.com. If you own a business, if you represent a business, if you are running for office, if you have a service, a product, whatever it may be, and you are looking to uh, to reach, you know, an audience. Honestly, the number one is is growing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just humbled. Honestly, every single time I go to the download numbers, every single uh, month, you guys seriously just. I, words, I, I can't, honestly, uh, but this is a great time, uh, not only for, for folks to, to join the Brian Nichols Show audience, but podcasts are just going to be blowing up, um, and, and the data is showing that, right? Uh, podcast downloads are increasing month over month, and people actually buy from podcast uh, downloads, so uh, do me a favor, if you, if you are a fan of the show and you enjoy the show and you see the value, then I, I promise you, the, there are other people who would listen to the show, they'll get the value as well. So email me at brian at briannicholsshow.com if you're interested in being one of our awesome 
phenomenal new sponsor. So, with that being said, guys, uh, a little housekeeping. Uh, coming up here on Wednesday, Ken Good. Uh, he's a bail reform attorney down in uh, in Texas, and he takes a conservative approach uh, to bail reform. So, uh, it's actually fun. A little bit of a disagreement in terms of, of policy and approach, but uh, I think at the very least, it's a great chance to have a civil conversation and actually uh, see where maybe we are, are not coming to agreement and why, why those uh, disagreements are there, uh, but also where we can find some common ground, which is, as always, the goal here on The Brian Nichols Show. So, make sure you go ahead and tune in there on Wednesday. Ken Good here on The Brian Nichols Show. But with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off for Alex Epstein here on The Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.